Welcome to New World of Work, a podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce. I'm Rhys Black, Head of Workplace Design at Oyster, a global employment platform making it easier than ever to build a brilliant team on an international scale. On New World of Work, we'll hear from some of the world's best and brightest people and culture experts on cutting-edge topics that people operations professionals need to hear today, all through a global lens. Join us as we navigate this new world of work together and learn more about each other along the way. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting the podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can improve the show and what you're interested in learning about next. Please take a moment to share your thoughts on the New World of Work listener survey, linked in the show notes below. Looking forward to hearing from you. Transitioning from one role to the next isn't always easy, and changing industries altogether can be even more of a challenge. However, if you're able to transfer key skills from one role to the next, that transition can be a whole lot smoother. That was the case for today's guest, who made the jump from law to people ops, all the way to her current role as chief operating officer. Jessica Svan is the COO at Whereby, a company that's making it easier than ever for remote and distributed teams to connect over video. We discussed how she navigated the path from people ops to COO, what the COO role entails, and her predictions on the future of the working world. My name is Jessica Savan. I am Chief Operating Officer at a company called Whereby. We are a fully remote video communications platform. We do two different products. One is the one that most people are very familiar with, kind of like a Zoom Teams type competitor in browser, very beautiful. And the other is we build a developer platforms for developers that want to integrate video into whatever they're building. Either way, we are very passionate, just like Oyster, about the future of work and particularly remote working, distributed working. Uh, our mission is all about enabling everyone to live and work where they thrive and a future in which anywhere works. So something that I also personally really agree with. My history is largely in people operations, but I also do have a legal degree and that was focused around the legal implications of remote working. So it's something that I'm really passionate about. Of course, today we'll be talking largely about your journey from people operations into your COO role. So if you had to distill down to an elevator pitch, what would you say the overarching mission of your career is or has been? I don't really know if I've had a mission of my career, but I definitely feel like at certain points it's been kind of heading in a more clear direction. I really, I, I am not a product person. Like I don't make products. I'm not an engineer. I don't have like a design background, anything like that. But I genuinely believe that the kind of company that you build is a product within itself. So it is an employee experience. It's a investment tool and a mechanism for kind of creating wealth within either venture capital or within your founders or your team, if you're offering ESOP or shares. And that product requires, I think, a very specific type of person to kind of lead it. My kind of, I guess, direction of my career and the things that I really care about is being the person that's able to craft that product's like vision, how it works, how people work together, the operating systems that make it effective and valuable, and also kind of help it stand out in the marketplace of all of the other company products that exist out there. Yeah, that's the thing I think I'm probably most passionate about and most focal about now. 
Fantastic. I'd actually be really interested to hear, considering you didn't come from a product background and maybe those parallels weren't quite so so clear or obvious to, to you, how, how did you come to thinking about a company in this way? I come from a very traditional kind of HR background back in the day. I sound like I'm like 700 years old. I'm not. But I uh, I came straight out of university and went into um, you know, a very traditional role within a very large corporate. And I worked there for several years, rotating through as a kind of graduate and a junior in the HR team. And I think... In that company, you know, I'm a first generation university graduate and very much like the whole kind of plan for my life from my parents' perspective was like, get your degree, get a great, good job, stay in your job. And then you've kind of hit the jackpot, right? So I took that job and I really loved it. And I think I got into this position where I was like, okay, great. Well, what's next? Like what's going to happen next in my life now that I've kind of got this job and I'm doing this. And I didn't really at that point understand that like there was just this huge market of like choice that's available to people in terms of what they're going to do with their career and their lives, because I'd never really interacted with that at all. Like until I was 23 years old and moved to the UK and lived in London I never had a chance to really interact with the amount of opportunities and options and different types of companies and products that exist in the world just because I was from a kind of remote part of it. So when I moved to the UK, I think that part of it was kind of wanting to catch up with all the things that I hadn't learned. I was just so desperately curious about learning about everything. And also just the kind of culture shock of realizing that like, wow, you can work in tech or banking or mining or a big company or a small company or a hierarchical company or a non-hierarchical company or all these different types of places you could do even the same type of job and they have very meaningful differences in terms of how what that looks like in your life. Um, and I went to start working in a very similar company than the company I worked at in Australia in terms of like size, scope, hierarchy, et cetera. And I found that I just didn't really enjoy it as much as I, I previously had. And I had a friend that suggested like maybe you should get into tech because it's a you know, I think it would really align with the ways that you work and the things that you think about, particularly around kind of diversity and the kind of pace and the rigor of the kinds of people that work there and the way they think about things. And at that point, I was just so open to the kind of this this kind of realization that I'd had that work is just so different in different places that at that point, I kind of was it was fairly easy for me to start making those connections. But I think if you kind of grew up with that maybe you don't question it as much or you're not as interested and curious about like what does all this choice mean what does this big marketplace of workplaces actually mean in in terms of how you can interact with them so you you transition from people ops into your new role at whereby as ceo mm -hmm. i guess why did you decide to make that leap and why at the timing that you did i had always wanted to move into a more kind of broad operational role, I think. The last couple of years, particularly in my people operations role, I really found that I was kind of hitting some of the walls of like the amount of commerciality I could show within the people operations position. And I, I mean that with like all the greatest respect to people operations roles. I actually believe they can be much more commercial than they currently are and much more kind of integrated into the strategy of the company. They're just not always like that. And I also really believe that people operations has, I think, such a massive opportunity to be more kind of operationally broad, purely because it's one of those roles that does have the capacity to look after probably the biggest investment a company will ever make. So there already is kind of the all the ingredients there for people operations people to be much broader operators. And I was really starting to like feel the tug of wanting to get involved in more of those things. Like, you know, I'm, I'm building 
quite complicated workforce plans and future-looking headcount models. Like, what's the difference between me doing that and building a revenue model that is directly tied into kind of a sales model based on headcount? Like, it feels like that's a, a small bridge to cross in the grand scheme of things. So I really wanted to kind of start getting involved in more of those conversations. So you you, you started to lay out, the, I guess, some of the, the functions that you, you cover right now, but maybe just to mm-hmm. give it holistically and, and plug any gaps that are there for maybe people that are listening that are not so familiar. What exactly does a CEO do? Gosh, this is like, I think if you ask any CEO in the world, you're going to get like extremely different answers. But maybe the one, th- the one thematic part will be it's, it's extremely nebulous, right? Like a COO is there to kind of fill the gaps of anything that your CEO and other members of your exec team don't have the capacity necessarily to do. But generally the theme is that a COO will look after the business operations from HR, finance, legal, um, Customer support is becoming more and more common to to roll up into COO, sometimes strategy teams as well. But there tends to be kind of three, I guess, archetypes of COO, in my experience anyway. There's the kind of CFO leaning archetype, whereas you don't have any real support in your your finance team whatsoever and you come from a finance background, you're very skilled at... um, chasing investment, building models, building financial plans, doing accountancy, and your CEO maybe is more focused on internal building. Maybe they're an ex-product person themselves and they've built a product. They're bringing in a CFO, leaning COO to help them out because they don't have those skills. The other option is that you've got a very business-focused COO who's really comes from like a management consulting type background, and they kind of a very broad generalist. They're able to slide into many things and understand the strategy of those teams fairly easily and build them out and then step away from them and bring in other experts to run those. Again, that's not really the kind of expertise I have. And then the third one is like a very operationally focused COO. So somebody that comes from one of the operations themselves that isn't necessarily finance. So sometimes it is a sales background, a customer support background, people operations background, or just straight business operations. So they've been working on the kind of the town planning of the company, making sure that all of the bits and pieces plug into each other. I'm definitely on that third category, which means that the strengths that I really need around me to support me are a really great finance director that is able to kind of take my operational and strategic knowledge and kind of back it up with like, okay, great. This is how we make sure that the accountants accountants piece all works out and that our CEO is very outward facing. I don't really spend any time in front of investors. I'm the kind of due diligence person. I'm their boardroom talking through the model, but I'm not the one that's up in front of our investors talking about it. And I think that that is a really common kind of structure for my kind of role. So uh, I guess, was there anything in particular that surprised you when you made the jump? Yeah, it'd be interesting to know if there was anything unexpected. There's like probably two kind of halves to this. I think part of it for me was just just how applicable some of the experience that I'd had in people operations really was into the work that I would be doing. And particularly the work that I was already doing around things like building out people operations roadmaps and thinking about goal planning and performance, those kinds of kind of structured thinking about individual performance and team performance is so beneficial when you're thinking about company performance, like being able to understand the difference between an input and an output and really being able to kind of track the ROI of a team's performance at large and and how that kind of rolls into company performance. Those things are really, really beneficial and kind of the things that I think a lot of um, really good operational COOs maybe don't necessarily have just because they're not super focused on on that kind of work. So I, that was a good finding or good discovery. The I think one of the things that really kind of struck me was just how detailed and 
I guess, like granular you have to be every single day to really understand having multiple functions underneath you. I think I kind of was in a position where I, you know, I don't want to blow smoke up my own butt, but like, you know, if you've been doing something for 15 years, you can kind of do some things in your sleep a little bit. <laughs> so like I built out a lot of compensation methodologies. I've built out a lot of headcount planning models. I've built out a lot of recruitment processes. Like these are the kinds of things that I can do kind of joyfully and easily because I've done them so many times before. And then all of a sudden I now had to kind of understand like why templatizing a certain product in our customer support backend wasn't as easy as we thought it may be. And really understanding like, well, okay, well, why is the pricing from 2021 different than the pricing from 2022? And how does that actually impact what we can and can't send, can't send customers? Um, and I, I'm the kind of person that I don't necessarily need to be in the, the grit of every single decision that gets made. I really want to trust the leaders that are under me, but I definitely don't want to be the kind of person that sets a strategic direction that's based on kind of flimsy understandings or half-truths. So I, I was really... I felt for the first couple of months just swimming in details, like just had notion pages coming out of my ears and writing notes on everything. And I had multiple times, was like, I don't think I'll ever be able to understand the detail of all of these different things. And now I finally am in a position where I feel like I can have a sensible conversation about everywhere I manage. And of course, there are still places I default to my leaders, but it took a long time, much, much longer than I thought it would. What, what sort of advice would you give to someone that's new to a CEO role that might be a bit overwhelmed? I think that the nebulous nature of a COO role leads itself very well to not being embarrassed when you need to ask other people questions. So I think, you know, one of the concerns that I had kind of maybe subconsciously when I first stepped into this role was I had so much, I hate using the word imposter syndrome because I think it's, I've got a long kind of relationship with that. We can talk about that on another podcast, but I had so much self-doubt and kind of concern that, oh no, I've stepped into this really big role and I need to really prove that I'm capable of doing it. That if I start going around asking all these questions, then maybe they'll realize that actually I shouldn't have got this job. And I think it was like a subconscious thing, right? I really like fully was cognizant of that internal position, like maybe three or four months into taking the, taking the job. But I think one of the things that you need to be aware of is if you start thinking that or feeling that like actually... COO roles are so different that even if you're an extremely experienced COO that's been at multiple companies, and I've, I've heard this directly from other COO friends of mine that have mentored me through this, this change, they're like, I get into a company and I have questions about something because I've never had to manage it in this exact structure before. Or actually, the way that this team runs the CSM team is like a completely different way than any other team I've ever seen around a CSM team. And I'm an experienced CEO, but I have to start asking other COOs like, who has ever done it this way and how do I unpick it? So I think it's like, really don't be afraid of asking other COOs, like how things are going or other operations leaders or finance leaders. And don't feel like that's going to like <laughs> identify that you don't know what you're talking about or something, because actually the ability to identify when you should and shouldn't be asking other great people is one of the reasons that you've been brought in, I think, as a, a COO. And it, it took me a while to kind of really realize that, that the thing that made me, I think, a great transition or a good transition through was the fact that I felt comfortable asking other people when I wasn't sure and getting good feedback and kind of distilling it and then using that to make a good strategic direction rather than wanting to prove that I was capable of figuring it out myself. One of the things I, I would actually love to get your thoughts on, you have a, a really amazing article about moving from the people world into being a COO. And one of the things you talk about in there is about not being afraid to have an opinion and that it's, it, it's good for operations leaders to have an opinion. And I agree. But actually, relative to some of the things you were just saying there, which is you could maybe even think is contradictory of part of being a good CEO is about being able to ask questions. 
when do you go from asking questions to having a, having an opinion? You know, what is that balance? Oh my gosh, this is such a good question. Wow. Okay. So I think one of the things I do say in the article is like, there's a difference between having an opinion and having a, like an uninformed opinion. Um, just going in and telling somebody like, oh, I think you should change the copy on your marketing emails. It's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Like having those kinds of opinions, I think it's, it's actually largely very distracting unless you've got some you know, amazing reason why you want to change. I think having an opinion is being able to like identify where something needs more thought or needs more questions and have an opinion about how to kind of attack that. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going in with like this perfectly formulated understanding of what something needs to be. It's the idea that it, your opinion is either having an interest in something, having a point of view in something, or having a reason to be asking questions from others about why something is the way it is or why it's always happened this way and what you can take from that. And sometimes the opinion is like, my opinion is this doesn't seem clear to me. Can you explain what that is and why? And I think this is one of those things that when you're when you're in an operations role and more broad role, you kind of do touch a lot of teams. And sometimes if you're just in a people role or just in a finance role or just in a sales role, it's very easy to kind of put your head down and say, well, that's the way that customer support does it. And I don't ask questions about that because that's the way that they've decided and that's fine. But I actually think it's extremely valuable to be able to say like, you know, I'm not asking this because I necessarily want you to change the way you're doing things. But my opinion of this is it looks, it, it doesn't look straightforward. So what, why is this the way that we're doing it? It's, it kind of, can you help me understand so that I can adjust my opinion of this is confusing to uh, this makes perfect sense. And don't be afraid of that that shift in your own opinion as well because that's what the whole thing's all about right yeah maybe come and feel circle a little bit based on some of the things you just mentioned there and and maybe you think about it this way because if you're a legal background i'd be interested to know but a, a lot of the way i interpreted what you were you were saying there almost re reminding me of the socratic methods of rather than having an opinion actually just asking the questions for others to arrive at a particular point and not necessarily you uh, projecting or, or forcing any particular opinion on it i guess in some ways that is the the, the balance or, or a very good way to look at it rather than you know projecting a particular opinion you can just ask the right the right questions and you'll mutually reach a conclusion on something yeah i think that's bang on it's actually something i talked to my team quite a lot about is the idea of like teaching things from first principles and using either the socratic method or some other method of like really challenging where your position is on on a solution um, in order to come up with the best possible outcome as a team and i think doing that even the process of like asking those questions through the socratic it requires you to take the hat or take a position of different people's opinions in order to like get to a mutual outcome and i think that within and of itself is is really beneficial and then once you've come up with something as a team, I think that, you know, one of the things that we often refer to at Whereby, which I think is, um, you know, it comes from Amazon, right? But this idea of like being able to disagree and commit, being able to hold to a joint opinion or a joint position on something. I think this is all like this kind of rigor around how you think about questioning, coming up with group solutions, approaching things from first principles is all really, really beneficial to have like a healthy relationship with the work that you're doing when your work is so broad. Jessica has some really great insight to share based on her unique career background thus far. One of the main themes that's emerging from our conversation is about asking smart questions. Very often, people hold themselves back from asking questions because they're afraid the answer might be obvious. However, Jessica believes that speaking up and voicing your curiosities can go a long way in any role. 
There's always room for improvement, and you never know when asking the right question at the right time might pave the way for a better way of doing things. When it comes to the PeopleOps to COO pipeline, I wanted to hear Jessica's thoughts on why she thinks the two roles pair so well together. Why do you think a background in people ops sets a good foundation for a person moving into a COO role? And, and I guess, why do you think we've not seen it as commonly as other roles so far? Yes. So I think it is becoming more common now. I've, I've got a couple of friends that have made the transition, and I think it is becoming more and more of a regular movement. I think the reason we maybe have it in the past, and, and maybe this is the skepticism within me, but chief people and VP people roles tend to be the most commonly held by females, by women in an organization. And that also tends to be the cap out of the majority of those individuals' careers. They kind of get into a VP people or maybe a chief people officer, and then that is as as kind of high as they progress within an organization. I do think that there is probably a little bit of gender dynamics at play there. I, I hope and I'm very positive that I think the future is changing around that. And I think the future is really changing around the way that people roles are perceived. So I don't think it's completely to do with gender necessarily either. I do think that there's also been a unfortunate kind of trend, historical precedent that was set for a while in people operations roles, which is people operations roles were seen as very like culturally ephemeral, like culture is intangible. You can't understand what it is. It's just the way that people interact together and it's the values written on your walls and it's the what happens 10 feet from your desk. And then that was what a lot of people roles were really focused on kind of honing and for, and kind of improving. But actually, like, I think that there's been a big shift away from that in the last couple of years. And I think kind of remote working as an operating system has been really good at highlighting the inaccuracies about thinking about work as this kind of ephemeral, non-existent, just writing and method like that is not enough i think and people roles have started to become a bit more commercial just because of the fact that it's less about that and more about the operating system of how you're working together the policies the legal aspects a headcount planning where you're hiring people why how they work together day to day how you stand out in this new marketplace where everybody has very similar kind of perspectives around remote and distributed and compensation etc etc So I think that that's kind of pushed the people role in a more commercial direction, which has been really beneficial. And I think it's also attracted a lot of people to people roles, which maybe traditionally wouldn't have been as interested. To the person that's listening to this podcast, how how would you advise or what would you advise for them to do to to kind of put that point across to their business and show them actually that the work that they're doing has major commercial influence and, and outcomes on the business and for them to think about it as a commercial function just as much as any other part of the business like sales or product i think before you start asking like can you give me more functions to work with you have to be able to demonstrate that you can do an incredibly good job of it with the huge responsibility that you've already been given looking after the people function right and this is i guess in two halves right this is looking after the current people team that you look after and how you manage them and also looking after the asset of the entire workforce that you ostensibly are responsible for how you kind of track manage look at performance builds ways of working together etc i think one of the most common pieces of advice I give to people when I I mentor them, particularly like kind of VP people that are interested in becoming more commercial or or more integrated with like, you know, board relationships or executive team relationships is a massive shift for people teams is to stop thinking about everything in terms of input metrics and start thinking about things in terms of output metrics. That's already a huge shift for a lot of people. And if you're able to go to your 
CEO and say, at the beginning of the year, 20% of our company understood the financials of the business, which meant that people were making poor decisions. Here's some examples, which meant that people weren't able to cross-functionally connect about why something mattered from a budget perspective, whatever it may be, right? And now, a year later, these are the things we've implemented and we've seen this improve by X metric. You're already able to show that you're really capable of driving positive behavior within the organization and do a really good job of running a team in the same kind of commercial way that you would expect for legal, for customer support, for sales, for finance, et cetera. I think from from speaking to you so far, you seem very good at being introspective, at being aware of your your sort of thoughts and feelings and your position that you're in right now. And then you, you've kind of made that deliberate jump or, or at least a deliberate change to, to something else to, 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 to grow and to continue and to learn. For the person that is either unaware of that and they're just kind of going through the motions or maybe they even have that niggly sort of feeling in their head right now, what would what advice would you give to them? I guess, when is it the right time to make a jump like that and, and how to do that? Not necessarily just into like a CEO role, it could be any other role too. If career is the, the thing that you're you're sitting there going, maybe this is not, maybe I'm not getting everything out of the 40 hours a week that I'm putting into this job, or maybe I'm feeling myself not super motivated in the morning, like whatever those hints are, I would say, look for the things that you personally shy away from the most that personally make you feel a little sore the meetings you know for me a really clear red, like a really clear sign for me wanting to learn more about something or needing to learn more about something is when i'm in a meeting and multiple people start talking about something and my natural subconscious behavior is to kind of eyes glaze over because i don't fully understand it for me whenever i feel that that's like a note that i wrote down of like you know what what was that topic read about it learn about it so that next time people are talking about it i'm not going to feel my eyes glazing over and sometimes it results in me just reading a thread about something that you know gives me a little bit more information or helps me have an opinion or be able to drive another um, conversation where we can gather a better opinion about something but sometimes it actually uncovers something that i'm really interested in and maybe i just never gave myself the opportunity because the the mental threshold for becoming interested in it was just having to like consciously listen and i think this is a very human behavior so it's like a simple thing, I guess, is like if you're at work and you want something to give you a little bit more spice of life, then try to chase the things that you naturally feel maybe slightly less interested in. I think sometimes you find some really interesting little nuggets of joy in there. In terms of timing and sequencing in, in your career, if you, were, if you were to go back and do it all again, would you have went so senior in people ops and then made the jump or do you think you would have potentially moved into something adjacent a little bit earlier become a bit more broad and then hope to have been a more a more broad slightly different persona of of ceo rather than what you were saying you know having that real strength in the people side of things as that kind of ceo or would you do you have done it differently i personally don't think I would have done things differently purely because I really love the people world. And I really love being a part of the conversation about making people roles more commercial. I don't think I would have been able to have a, as loud of a, a voice and hopefully being part of that movement as I do now. And I really get a lot of joy out of doing that. That said, I definitely think there are moments where I'm more of a novice than some of my peers because they've been working in business operations a bit longer than I have. Um, and that's something that you, I, I need to be aware of, right? Like anything, you know, it's a, it's a trade-off. It's a double-edged sword. I, I get to be a very vocal advocate for the things that I super care about. And I think is like pushing the ways of working for companies all over the world in a better direction. But it means that I need to be the novice in the room sometimes when people are talking about something that 
perhaps my peers have been doing for five years longer than I have. I wouldn't change it. No. So I feel like if I did change it, then I might just be in a, I might be in a more boring COO position where no one's asking me questions like this, right? I might just be asked, being asked questions about a PL, which maybe, I don't know, maybe there's heaps of podcasts about PLs that I'm not listening to, but there you go. <laughs> Can't knock a good PL. Okay, so let's 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 talk a little bit about in, into the future. What other trends do you see coming down the line in twenty twenty three and beyond in terms of people ops or operations in general? I've got like one big prediction <laughs> that I'm like thinking about a lot at the moment. Obviously, AI and kind of chats, GPT three and the open source AI project that that comes from is like making huge waves across venture capital and startups and just everywhere in the world right now, you do see. I really do believe that those kinds of tools are kind of a really a next wave in how we think about work as well. Just like the first role I ever had, I was like scanning contracts and mailing physical contracts out to people to sign. The changes that happens in terms of automation of processes like DocuSign and the like beautiful cloud ATS systems and HRS systems we see now have really changed a lot of people's roles to become much more strategic and much less, much less administrative. I do think that these AI tools will help the same thing happen to marketing roles, to engineering roles, and to these roles like design, for example, where the ad- admin for these jobs is actually has been considered, I think, sometimes to be like writing notes in a doc or sending emails. But actually what it is, I think, is like wireframing, writing a bunch of boring copy. And what's really valuable about those positions is being able to be strategic, think about architecture, think about kind of marketing strategy, think about how to connect with other people, have conversations, to use a research. And I'm really excited. I really do believe that these tools are going to enable millions of jobs to move from kind of the administrative into a much more strategic place. If we think about a new graduate that's coming into the workforce, Mm. there is value going through the motions, going through the slog, doing the administrative work. And, you know, 10, 15 years later, you pop out the other side and you're you're a strategic leader, right? You've kind of worked your way up the ranks. If that administrative burden doesn't need a human input or, or, or human effort, how does a new person kind of get to the other side to become the strategic leader? Yes. So I think this is interesting because I remember this conversation also existed, right? When I went from like scanning and like physically sending out contracts to people, and then we implemented a new HRES, one of our leaders in our HR team, I remember her saying like, well, what are all the interns going to do if we don't have contracts to scan anymore? And of course we just, there were other jobs that we had, there were millions of things that we could do, right? And I don't think losing printing and scanning and sending out contracts changed my ability to like become a great leader. So I do think that some of it a little bit is like being a little maybe nervous about the stuff that actually maybe wasn't adding that much value and the things that really teach people sometimes. It isn't writing 500 lines of of copy, it's figuring out which one works, right? And we still need to be able to give people the opportunity to be involved in those conversations of, okay, so chat GPT-3 has written 500 lines of marketing copy. Now your job is to work with a team of people to figure out like, which is the one that works? How do you do that? And help, like, that's the problem that you're actually paying someone to solve. You're no longer paying them to sit there and write out and churn out a bunch of marketing copy with SEO keywords, which, which is interesting, right? Because then again, people operations, people need to become more about outputs and less about inputs write 50 lines of marketing copy no longer becomes a useful goal because anyone can do that. You just need an internet connection, but figure out which one of these copy lines actually really works for our customers. Well, that that already like is ripe for creating an output metric and you need to be practiced and ready to be doing that because if you're 
companies are already moving in that direction and you're not capable of like making that leap yourself as a people leader, then like you're going to be left in the dust. Someone's going to be asking chat GPT-3, how do I write good output metrics? And you're going to be gone. <laughs> okay, so what, what's next for you? What's next for whereby? Um, I hate doing this so much, but I've just written a book. <laughs> so if you want to pre-order my book, then please do that. It's on my Twitter. It comes out in, gosh, three months. It's called Built for People. It's about how to think about your business as a product. So there we go. It's very exciting. And what's next for Whereby? Goodness me. This year is just, it's the last 12 months has been so tough for so many companies. I'm just really looking forward to Whereby being, it's already the last couple of months we've felt really calm. We've done a lot of amazing work in cleaning out some of the legacy concerns that we had that uh, I think are going to put us in a really good place for 2023. Okay, so last question from me, and this is a question we ask everyone on the podcast. What is the best mistake you've ever made and why? So my husband and I met at work. Massive no-no for all HR people. But we are now a year and a half happily married. We've been together eight years. He's without a doubt my favorite human being that's ever been born. But I think at the time, I did very much think like, is this of career and this is a career limiting move i'm glad to say that it wasn't that's probably the answer to my question i love it thank you so much that was great fun i hope you enjoyed it too yeah it was a lot of fun thank you so much i'm so glad i had a chance to learn about the life of a coo from jessica here are a few of my key takeaways from this episode the skills you learn as a PeopleOps leader can be extremely applicable to the COO role. Jessica explained that some of the experiences she'd had in PeopleOps, like building out people operations roadmaps, thinking about goal planning and performance, and tracking a team's ROI, turned out to be highly beneficial when she moved into the world of operations. Being detail-orientated is crucial for COOs. When Jessica moved into her new role as COO, she was struck by just how many details she needed to pay close attention to. Anyone who's hoping to move into operations from people operations would be wise to sharpen their eye for the details, no matter how granular. Curiosity is key. Throughout her career, Jessica has placed a strong emphasis on asking smart questions and learning new things. The next time your eyes glaze over in a meeting, pay attention to the topic at hand and dive into some research to challenge yourself. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of New World of Work. If you're interested in what today's job seekers are looking for in an employer, be sure to check out our employee expectations report by visiting the link in the show notes or visiting this URL, bit ly forward slash oyster report i repeat that's bit.ly forward slash oyster report thank you for listening to new world of work the podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce through an international lens we hope this episode served to expand your horizons and open your mind to a new perspective be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so that we can reach more listeners. I'm your host, Reese Black. See you next time.